Here we go. You're listening to Rumination Tuesday on Law and Gospel on this October the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. With me will be Pastor Mark Smith as we take a look at a hymn assigned for Reformation Sunday, this coming Sunday, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. In 1523, Luther wrote his order for the Latin Mass as observed in Wittenberg, and he expressed a strong desire for hymns in the vernacular. That is not in the Latin, but in the German. He wrote, I also wish that we had as many songs as possible in the vernacular, which the people could sing during Mass. And he indicates Poets are wanting among us, or not yet known, who could compose evangelical and spiritual songs, as Paul calls them in Colossians 3.16, worthy to be used in the church of God. One such poet that Luther found was Paul Speratus, S-P-E-R-A-T-U-S, died in 1551, and he wrote three of the eight hymns published in the first Lutheran hymnal, known as the Eight Hymn Book. The first hymn printed in that volume was Luther's Dear Christians, One and All, Rejoice. And that was followed by Sparatus's 14 stanza, salvation unto us has come. Both hymns clearly distinguish law and gospel and proclaim that the sinner is justified by God's grace through faith. It is a great hymn, and it is based on the Augsburg Confession of 1530. It is also the alternate hymn for Reformation Day. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at now with Mark Smith. Hello, Mark. Hey, Tom. Hey, is it 556 or uh, is it salvation unto us has come or is it dear Christians one and all rejoice? They're both somewhat similar. Which one did you want to talk about? The alternate hymn for Reformation is 555, salvation unto us has come. That's the one I got. Yes. That's the one I got. Great. Yeah. And, uh, of course, what's the other hymn? Dear Christians, one and all rejoice. No. They're both, they're both. No, no, well, no, you no, said, no. That's not the other hymn for Reformation. No, the other one is the Mighty Fortress is Our God. Right. But we've done that so many times. Right. I thought it would be a good idea to do the alternate hymn. In Sounds fact, good to me. We have a choir that uses bells, and they're going to start a service, one of our services, with this hymn. So it would be good to take a look at it. This particular hymn in this hymnal has 10 verses. And boy, if there is ever a hymn that shows the proper distinctions between law and gospel, this one sure does. It is a, a great hymn. So, 
stands always. Right. Salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. Now, that is really on the basis of Apology 4 in the Confessions. And the big point is, good works can never help and save us ever. Now, aren't we to do good works? Oh, yes. Yes, uh, they, are, they are important. Uh, some would even say that they're necessary, but not for salvation. Our salvation is already established. It is finished, as Christ said on the cross. So uh, our good works have nothing to do with our salvation. But they are important, and, and some of them, of course, you know, God has even prepared beforehand for us to do. Yes, we make a distinction between what saves us, that's called justification, and then our response to that salvation, which is sanctification. Good works fit in the area of sanctification, and I did a sermon recently that only a believer can do a good work. Unbelievers can never do a good work in God's eyes. That's right. You, 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 it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Exactly, because God looks at the motivation. And mm -hmm. apart from the Holy Spirit's motivation, then they are not good works from God's point of view. All right, I'll read two. What God did in his law demand, and none to him could render caused wrath and woe on every hand for man, the vile offender. Our flesh has not those pure desires the spirit of the law requires, and lost is our condition. Now, if that doesn't talk about motivation, I don't right. know what does, because the spirit of the law requires pure desires. And that just doesn't happen with an unbeliever. Yeah, in fact, even even we Christians are, God talks about our good works being like filthy rags. Even for Christians, uh, our motivation isn't always exactly pure. Uh, some of our, even some of our good works will be done by us thinking, well, what will, what will my other, what will my, fellow believers think of me won't they think won't they think i'm a good christian if i do this you see so it's very it's very hard not to do a good work without thinking of uh oh won't i look good in this light yes the bible makes a distinction between the works that god considers good and those that he does not both of them can be referred to as good works the difference is in the life of sanctification, they're really referred to as fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's right. really the meaning of a proper good work. And that's what God demands in his law. And nobody could render that perfectly. 
So a lot of times we do fruit of the Holy Spirit without recognizing that we are being motivated by the Holy Spirit. And it's not necessary for us to realize that in order for it to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because filled with the Holy Spirit at baptism, we spontaneously desire to do what God loves. In other words, <clears throat> what God loves is what I love also as a believer. Yes. And often we do these good works without realizing it. Um, yes. It's like when, when Jesus separated the sheep from the goats on the last day, uh, a lot of times we'll say, well, when did, when did we ever do this? When did we ever feed the hungry? When did, when did we ever uh, clothe the naked? And Jesus will say to us, inasmuch as you've done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So we, we do good works, even if it's just sweeping up the floor after your mother asks you. Whatever's done in faith and it, that is accord with the Ten Commandments, that is a, that is a good work. Yes. Stanza three, please. Yes. It was a false, misleading dream that God his law had given, that sinners could themselves redeem and by their works gain heaven. The law is but a mirror bright to bring the inbred sin to light that lurks within our nature. Now, I took a look at this hymn, and there are 40 passages that I could find just in this hymn alone. And where it talks about here, this verse 3, that sinners could gain heaven is but a wrong thinking. And that's really found in Romans 3, which is the epistle reading for Reformation Sunday. It says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's really a critical understanding of the Christian faith. Indeed it is. All right, I'll read four. From sin our flesh could not abstain, Sin held its sway, increased unceasing. The task was useless and in vain. Our guilt was ever increasing. None can remove sin's poison dart or purify our guileful heart. So deep is our corruption. That's actually from one of our liturgies where it says in the liturgy that there is nothing we can do to remove sin or pay for it. There's not a scale of good works that we do that, well, take care of our sins. They had to be paid for by death, as God said in Genesis. And Jesus is the one who took that death upon himself. 
Right. When we confess our, when we confess our sins in the uh, confession, we confess that we're poor, miserable sinners. And sometimes, sometimes uh, our, our worshipers will say, "Well, I, I'm a I'm a poor sinner, but I don't know if I'm a miserable sinner." But what we mean by that is there is no way, no way at all that we could ever uh, redeem ourselves. Yes, you will not do anything to get out of prison. That's what Jesus says in one of his teachings. And that is talking about hell for those who are unbelievers. They will recognize on the day of judgment that Jesus is the Messiah, but it will be too late for them. And so they will not be saved simply because they don't trust the promises of God. Right. All right, stanza five. Yet as the law must be fulfilled, or we must die despairing, Christ came and has God's anger stilled, our human nature sharing. He has for us the law obeyed, and thus the Father's vengeance stayed, which over us impended. Yes, that's a point we want to make again and again. Nobody goes to heaven unless they are righteous in the sight of God. And that righteousness comes not by obedience to the law, but by trusting the promises of Jesus Christ. For we continue to sin, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. That's what we deserve. But God is gracious, who therefore, by grace, gives us what we do not deserve, which is eternal salvation. Yeah, uh, Tom, isn't this, uh, isn't this what we call in the catechism his active obedience uh, that Jesus uh, underwent for us? Uh, you know, sometimes we feel like, oh, I, you know, I'm a m miserable Christian. I, I don't attend church as much as I should. I don't give to the church as much as I should. I'm not as active as I should in meetings and the like. Well, Christ has fulfilled the law for us. That's his active obedience, and that's what it talks about. Christ came and has God's anger stilled. Yes. He has for that's us the law obeyed. Found in the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. where he has fulfilled the demands of the law. And therefore, when we trust in him, we get that gift of the forgiveness of sins. Okay, stanza six, please. Since Christ has full atonement made and brought to us salvation, each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. Your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Your death is now my life indeed, for you have paid my ransom. Notice that this verse is really talking about sanctification, that once we realize that full atonement has been made and brought to us salvation, then we are glad and we build on that foundation. It's kind of like children. They don't become children of parents by their works. They become children by being born or adopted. But then the works that they do in the family is done because they love their parents 
and want to obey them, uh, the more that they hear from their parents God's will. And that's what this verse is talking about. That's how we build on the foundation. Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. And that's because we receive justification by trust in his promises. Yeah. And one of the responses that we make is uh, joyfully singing hymns such as this, where it's, it's a pleasure for us to sing forth his praises, knowing how much he loves us and how much he's done for us. Yes, this is why this hymn is so exceptional, because it puts in words in the vernacular, that is, for us in the English, what the Bible is really talking about in salvation. It is so clear that works cannot save you. But works are necessary for a believer to do, just as for a child to do good works in the household. Doesn't make him the child, but it is the result of having that relationship with the parents. All right, stanza seven, please. Let me not doubt, but truly see your word cannot be broken. Your call rings out, come unto me, no falsehood have you spoken. Baptized into your precious name, my faith cannot be put to shame, and I shall never perish. How does baptism result in us not being able to be put to shame? Well, because when we're baptized, uh, you know, the good, the good news that a lot of people don't realize— Every single one of your sins, including the last sin you commit on your dying day, everything, every single one of our sins has been washed away in baptism. And, that, you know, that is, that is really good news. People don't, you know, people just think, well, yeah, I was baptized and those sins you know, long ago were forgiven. But every, all of our sins have been washed away. And that's found in the promises of baptism that Peter right. talks about at Pentecost. What right. are those promises? Uh, that Peter talks about at Pentecost. Let's see. He that, uh, let's see. The, the, the promises that he talks about at, at Pentecost. He that in bapt oh, um, it's, it's for, your, for you and for your children. Yes. And what is for you and your children? Salvation. Two gifts. The gift of the forgiveness of sins. And, and the Holy the Spirit. Yes, yes. What does that mean? Well, the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. When, when that little infant is baptized, the Holy Spirit makes that little infant his temple. That, yes. that, that, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within that little infant. And that infant receives faith. Right. That's right. And that's even, though the they can't, even though they can't always verbalize the faith, they do, that little infant does believe. Absolutely. Well, John the baptizer verbalized the faith before he was born. By leaping for joy in the womb yes. of his mother. Exactly. And Elizabeth explains that's because Jesus had entered the room in the womb of Mary and John the baptizer by the Holy Spirit leaped for joy. Right. So 
there's no doubt that faith can be created even in an infant. All right, I'll read eight. The law reveals the guilt of sin and makes us conscience stricken. But then the gospel enters in, the sinful soul to quicken. Come to the cross, trust Christ and live. The law no peace can ever give, no comfort and no blessing. What does the sinful soul to quicken, what does that mean? The gospel enters in the sinful soul to quicken. The gospel gives us life, eternal life. Our yes. eternal life begins our eternal life begins at baptism or when we come to faith. Yeah, a lot our, of times the term quick is used to refer to those who have life. Right. And so that be a word that would be explained to the children who are singing this hymn. In other words, what we find in this hymn is a beautiful summary of Luther's small catechism. Yes. Yeah, it's got so much, it's got so much uh, theology in here. It's a beautiful yes. hymn. This is I, the level of theology that a pastor is trying to get the congregation, you know, understanding because the goal of the pastor is not only to explain the original languages of the Bible, but also the English. So people realize, nope, it's not my works. It's the works of Christ that have saved me. Okay, stanza nine, please. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, True faith is known, with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify. Works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. Now, boy, that is really a wonderful stanza to show the purpose of good works. Yes, it shows the, 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 why they're important. Because yes. it helps our neighbor, and it also provides... It provides the proof that faith is living. You shall know them by their fruits. And therefore, it's very important to understand this verse is saying that good works that are done by a Christian are only done by a believer. Right. Because by faith alone, we're justified. And that results in doing fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Stanza 10, please. All blessing, honor, thanks, and praise to Father, Son, and Spirit, the God who saved us by His grace, all glory to His merit. O triune God in heaven above, you have revealed your saving love, your blessed name we hallow. Now, does that last line remind you of anything? Well, of course, it uh, talks about the Trinity. It's a doxological verse. We stand for it. We stand when we sing normally. Uh, all, all blessing, honor, thanks, and praise to God, to Father, Son, and Spirit, the God who saved us by his grace, 
All glory to his merit. I'm asking about the last line. The last line, your blessed name we hallow? Yes. Why do you oh, think the Lord's that was... Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Exactly. Hallowed be thy name, yes, yes. In fact, we can take at the entire verse 10 is really doing the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. It's a summary of what the prayer says because we give all glory to his merit. Remember, forgive us our trespasses, we ask for. Deliver us from the evil one. And that's all promises that God has given us here on earth. So this is a a really good stanza to talk about bringing in the Lord's Prayer. As I said, you can kind of go through it talks about the commandments. It talks about the creed, what we believe. It talks here about the Lord's Prayer. It's already mentioned baptism. What's the only part of the catechism that isn't mentioned? Uh, the, the Office of the Keys? No. The Lord's <laughs> Supper. Oh, the Lord's Supper. Yes, right. Uh huh. I yeah. don't see that anywhere. No. Because it's talking about how we are justified and sanctified. But how is the Lord's Supper important in Lutheran theology? Oh, it's very important because it's it's another means of grace, like baptism and the gospel. And it's his very body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there's also life and salvation. So the Lord's Supper is very precious. Yes, after being baptized, you get additional promises. Take, eat, take, drink for the forgiveness of sins. It's another assurance that that is happening, not because we're doing some kind of good work, but because we're taking a part of the means of grace, the means of distributing what Jesus has won for us, and that's found in the Lord's Supper. Right. So it's not that the Reformation didn't talk about the Lord's Supper. They did all over the place, but not in this particular hymn. Right. All right. Thanks so very much, Pastor Smith, in helping us with a lengthy hymn salvation unto us has come in the first hymnal put out by the lutherans in the 1530s i'm tom baker that was mark smith join us tomorrow or join me in continuing to talk about the book of proverbs until then god bless you Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. 
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.